This is a space for anyone raising humans and trying to find time to raise themselves in the process. The myths of motherhood are loud out there. This unrealistic motherhood culture we find ourselves in is toxic to our souls. It imprisons our progress, stunts our growth, and breeds limiting beliefs that altogether keep us overwhelmed. It's my mission to push the eject button on this crazy ride and help you find peace with your process. Through mentors and mistakes, I have learned that we have way more power and permission than we realize. Jesus didn't just die to give us everlasting life in heaven. He died to give us abundant life, a full life right here on earth, right now in the midst of your sleepless nights in your Cheerio-covered kitchen. I don't know about you, but I felt like I didn't qualify for that kind of full kingdom life while in the throes of motherhood. Listen to me, mama. You have access to all that Jesus died to give you. You're called to kingdom things even now, even when you can't remember the last time you read your Bible or when you say bad words under your breath after stepping on yet another Lego. Mothering is hard and overwhelm is real and understandable, but it does not have to be your every single day. I want to help you out of the wind and the waves of overwhelm and into the peace of overflow through super practical things like decluttering, simplifying your life, making your home work for you, to mental work like ditching the pressure of perfection and comparison, defeating those toxic thoughts, and learning about yourself, how you tick, and what brings you to life. We're covering it all. If it's not real, raw, and helpful, it is not allowed. Fullness is in front of you. Let's go get it together. You're listening to The Fullness Show. Welcome to another episode of The Fullness Show. Today is kind of fun. Um, I am going to let you in on a really fun live conversation that I did with um, our most recent guest on The Fullness Show, Dr. Missy Greider. Um, we talked through emotional wellness for women, moms, and um, how to really help educate ourselves on emotional regulation. Um, we talked through creating an atmosphere in our home that um, is feels safe and warm and welcoming for our children to grow up in. We talked about marriage. We talked about um, just being raw and open with your, with your children sometimes and letting them see you cry. We talked about um, understanding um, as your child um, changes through ages and stages, um, how to um, really prepare for those new changes and make sure that they see themselves in the best light. We talked about so many things that are going to help you right now in your parenting journey, in your mothering journey. Even if you are a brand new mom, this stuff is gold. And uh, Missy Greider just gives us um, pure researched gold that um, just it just speaks for itself what she brings to the table and I'm so excited to put her in front of you once again. So this is a live conversation we had on our Facebook group, the Fullness Show Podcast Community, um, and she's she just brought it. And so I wanted to chop it up and put it here on the podcast because I felt like it was so valuable and so practical. And I'm excited to put her in front of you again. Um, So yeah, enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Missy. We're so glad you're here. Thank you, Abby. I'm so glad to be with you again. Yay. I was just telling everybody how we've connected and um, I've just learned so much from you. And we just kind of had this 
like connection of of like yes that is exactly what you know we've experienced and and we've just on so many levels have connected and i'm so excited to put you in front of this incredible community in the fullness shell these this group of women they're just absolutely precious to me and i'm so excited to put um you in front of them because i think that you're gonna be able to give them so much life and thank you and uh, practicals and yes. that's what we need. We need some solid practicals that we know that will support us. And Absolutely. we're all about taking the research and making it usable and practical and doable, doable. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's the, that's the hard part as a mom we were talking about is, you know, it's hard um, to do all the homework in the midst yes. of motherhood, um, right? In the midst of all the things that you have to do, and then worrying like, is that really going to work, or is that? Yes. You know, oh, it's stressful. And so you know, let me do the homework for you. It's my job. Yes. It's my calling. It's what I'm trained to do. It's what I'm gifted and talented in, and I just love to share it with people. You know, yes. I love that. I love that. We want to dive right into some of these questions. A lot of people sent in questions. I yes. um, gave you some questions, and you were, like, prepared on prepared. Um, and I can't wait to dive in. So um, we're going. We're talking about motherhood. We're talking about emotional wellness. We're talking about yes. um, dealing with just the day-to-day life that happens in our world as, right. as, as women. Um, and one of the first questions that I wanted to bring out was, how do you know if you're on the edge of burnout when yes. you are doing all the things all the time and you're just kind of surviving and you're like, you don't know any other way. Right. What's the signs that say, um, whoa, 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 this is a red flag or a yellow flag. What are those for us? For sure. It's such an important question. And there are some indicators of burnout, both general burnout and specifically there's a newer area of research on parental burnout. So I'm going to get into both of those because there are research-based indicators, you know, in the literature and we want to be really aware of those. And ideally we want to prevent. So let's do as much prevention as we can. So general burnout, Abby, it's defined by three components. And the first of these components is number one, emotional exhaustion. And that is defined as the fatigue that comes from caring too much for too long. Then number two, the second component, and this is general burnout, is depersonalization. And that means you've got the depletion of empathy, caring, and compassion. So you're feeling like, you know, I've really got nothing left to care for others. And number three, the third component, and this is general burnout, it's a decreased sense of accomplishment, more like a sense of futility, feeling like nothing you do makes any difference, kind of like that, oh, whatever, you know, that type of, that type of a sense. And burnout is highly prevalent, and I'm going to look at a few statistics pre-pandemic and then compare the pandemic to it, because we were already a lot of us teetering on the edge of burnout pre-pandemic, and that's so important to be aware of. So doctors Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski, they're both sisters, both PhDs, they researched and wrote a book called Burnout, and this came out right before the pandemic, and they talked about how highly prevalent burnout was at that time. So at that time, we were already looking at 20 to 30% of teachers that had a moderately high to high level of burnout pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that was similar with university professors, folks working in humanitarian aid, medical professionals pre-pandemic. Wait for this one. 52% pre-pandemic. 
So think about it. We're all coming into the most stressful by far season era of our lives. And I think history will bear that, that I've seen things like the, the pandemic is going to be our generation's world war II. you know? So we're, we're already coming in, in this state and the commonality there, when you look at those different professions is helping people, helping people. Mm-hmm. So think about being a mom, think about being a mom. So let's look specifically now at parental burnout. And this is, uh, this is from a brand new study published in 2022. So there are four symptoms and these are specifically related to parental burnout. Symptom number one, first symptom, overwhelming exhaustion related to your parenting responsibilities. And this looks like parents feeling completely exhausted to the point that sleep doesn't restore their energy. They have no energy for caring for their child, for looking after their child, and they feel like they're really in survival mode as a parent. So that's symptom one of parental burnout. The second symptom is feeling like you aren't as good of a parent as you once were. This looks like feeling ashamed or no longer proud of the parent you have become. Third symptom, specific to parental burnout, a loss of pleasure or fulfillment in the parenting role. And this one just, it almost hurts to hear it. This looks like parents who no longer enjoy being with their child and they cannot stand their role as a parent anymore. And you know, Look at this as this isn't really who you are. This is what's happened as a result of multiple, multiple, multiple stressors over time and not metabolizing all the stress. So no shame, just recognizing this so that you can get the healing and the space and the time that you deserve. And the fourth symptom, emotional distancing from their child. So where they do what they have to for their child and nothing more, they may even at this point have difficulty showing their emotions to their child and showing how much they love their child. So if you're seeing yourself in any of these symptoms, you're not alone. Two researchers from the Ohio State University, and they're both working moms, and they wanted to examine the numbers of working parents who were feeling exhausted, irritable, emotionally detached, or overwhelmed with parenting because they themselves were feeling this. So they surveyed a thousand parents during the height of the pandemic, and this is what they came up with. Their results showed that 66% of working parents reported feeling burned out. The numbers were higher for moms than for dads, and I kind of attribute that to the mental load that moms typically carry. So it was 68% of moms and 42% of dads, and that's the height of the pandemic. So think, you know, we were already kind of teetering on the edge of burnout, some of us, before the pandemic, and then what that added massive stressor did. A different study on parental burnout pre-pandemic showed that the figures were between 5 and 20%. So, wow, that just jammed right up there to 66% for moms. So just, just super, super telling, isn't it though? So you're really not alone. If you're feeling any of these symptoms, zero shame. We're all human beings with limits who are deserving of care and nurture and leisure and time and space and connection and everything we need to fully restore, right? To really fully restore. So You know, too, if you're experiencing any of these symptoms, think about just a foundational human need of safety. And we're going to be talking later about how do we create love and safety in the home. Our entire collective sense of safety was rattled for two years. You know, so giving ourselves a break that our our foundational needs as adults weren't being met, you know. So really giving ourselves some grace and time and slack. Uh, it's just really telling. So if you're feeling like, okay, maybe some of those indicators are me. I don't think I'm totally there at burnout. So if you're feeling like 
I don't know that I'm burned out, but I can see the possibility of some of those things on the horizon if I don't get a break. I mean, I can see that that could be out there. Let's be proactive and do some prevention and really keep it from progressing. Abby, in that our podcast that we just did together, part one, we talked so much about the stress response in our bodies, having mm-hmm. our nervous systems activated, and how we need daily doable practices to metabolize those stress hormones. So that's a great listen for your community. Go back and listen to part one, where we really get into the daily practices that we need. It's really what happens when we've been carrying stress for too long without metabolizing the chemicals in our bodies daily, without having those daily practices in our lives to manage the physiological stress in our bodies, that's where we start setting ourselves up for burnout. And those two doctors I mentioned, Emily and Amelia Nagoski, one of them was hospitalized for burnout. I mean, she found herself in the hospital. So, I mean, this is, this is, it's not this made up thing that, oh, I'm weak or whatever. It's just like, no, you're a human being with physiological limits. And I think if we can normalize that for ourselves and really yeah. get to more of a, instead of a reaction mode of, oh my goodness, I'm so far into this that now I need to be hospitalized. Let's try to get at those preventative practices that we can do daily and do them for ourselves and also teach them to our kids as young kids. Mm-hmm. You know, just really the de-stressing things in an age appropriate, of course, way. You know, I think it's, it's just so valuable. It is. Also, too, you know, if you find yourself in, you know, an area where it's like, okay, I'm seeing more of myself in these symptoms and these indicators that I want, I would also recommend finding a really skilled functional medicine practitioner, somebody who's really skilled in, in holistic functional medicine, where you're not going to go in and be given, you know, just a pharmaceutical and that's it. Because that's not, that's not, you know, of course, there's super a place for pharmaceuticals, yet there's so many daily lifestyle things that need to happen on top of that. There are tests that you can do to test your neurotransmitters. I've done those in a super stressful part in my life and gotten some supplementation that really helped me to feel more like myself when I had gone too hard for too long. You know, so Mm -hmm. those things are available and just to make yourself you know, give yourself the gift of those resources that you're so deserving of. Yeah. That's something that I feel like we don't, we don't do because we're so, we're so consumed with everything else. Right. But you have to realize it's, it's the, it's the airplane, you know, analogy of put your, absolutely assist your child you have to take care of you absolutely not selfish it is it's not a luxury it is not a luxury it is basic and foundational yes and you're you're gifting everyone around you not just yourself absolutely i love that so um okay are we ready for the next question yes yes so um this one's a little more practical right kind of gets us into do like okay actual scenario um what are some things that i can do in public when my child acts out and i'm needing to be extra calm like myself or whatever you're in a situation high stress and you're just or you're preparing for it or whatever what what are those things that we can do in the moment in emergency in a practical 
tools. For sure. I think before we even get into the pinch, we need to normalize that this happens to everybody, you know, mm -hmm. instead of defining it as, oh, I'm not good at this or, oh, my child is acting out to such a degree more so than other kids. It's just like, let's normalize that this happens to every parent. Have you ever met a parent that this habit hasn't happened to, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's just part of parenting. So I think the narrative we tell ourselves, how we talk with ourselves about this, when it happens, even in that moment, our language in our own heads is going to help us bring in the calm, some of the calm that we need. So keeping in mind that our children are learning how to regulate their feelings. Every child is learning how to manage their challenging emotions and have that narrative in your head be, this is normal. Have compassion for yourself. The self-compassion literature is huge. And one component of that is common humanity. So if you can say, hey, this is common, this happens to every parent. And I think as moms, we care so much that we can tend to, in those moments, we can tend to catastrophize in the moment, depending on our own exhaustion levels. Like, oh, my kid is just going to grow up and not have the skills that he or she needs. My kid is this behavior issue. And it's like, no, your kid's a normal kid that's having a tough day, you know, and they haven't yet learned how to regulate their emotions in a social setting and you're gonna be teaching them these skills. So normalizing in that way. And then for yourself, just when you're in that moment, one of the quickest things you can do and you can do it anywhere is the deep breathing. We talked about in the in our first part of our podcast that one of the most effective interventions even for combat veterans to bring themselves into more of a state of that you know window of tolerance with their only own emotions was the deep breathing so it's having your out breath the key is having your out breath be two times your in breath so even if it's four in eight out And doing, you can do that anywhere. You can do that in the line at Target. You can do it anywhere. So just getting that deep breathing because that's bringing your own central nervous into regulation because your child is co-regulating with you. So you're the one that needs to bring that sense of calm into that relationship with you and your child in that moment. So you're the one that's bringing the calm into, into the situation. And worst case scenario is you leave, you help your child come down, calm down and you come back, you know? And I think sometimes too, we can get sometimes rattled by the stink eye or the judgment we get from somebody, you know, in, in a line or whatever. And I read this phrase and I loved this. It's like, if you wouldn't ask this person for advice, there's not a need there to focus on what their opinion is. That's so good. You know, isn't that good? I mean, I'm not going to ask the random person who's giving a mom the stink eye for their parenting advice. So why am I going to let myself be rattled by what their opinion is? And they must have something going on in their life if they're, you know, cranky over a precious little two-year-old, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> I think that's something that, excuse me, a lot of people are afraid of is the judgment. Yes. Yes. Looked at at a certain way in public, you know, with, with young kids or any age kid. I For sure. It's sometimes your kids just have rough days and they're just sure. adjusting and, or you do. And it's just hard to, it's hard to, to tune out the rest of the room and zero in and say, you're my responsibility. Right. I'm my responsibility. Right. And right. Everybody else can, you know, go kiss it. This isn't, you're not a part of it. <laughs> no, you're not, you are, they are not the person you're asking advice for. Exactly. So, you know, their, their opinion isn't a part of your parenting. Exactly. Exactly. It's so good. Love that. Um, okay. So next question. Um, this one's a super practical one too. How sure. do I 
create a loving, safe environment at home. One sure. that is emotionally aware, one that is yes. um, just, it's, it, our kids feel safe to come and talk to us. There's, Absolutely. It's, it's sacred zone. How do we yes. create? Absolutely. And I'm going to start with the adults in the home before I speak to what we create with our children. So it really, the foundation is really the adults in the home. And I'll speak to moms who are married and also to moms who are single moms. We all, as the moms in the home, have such agency to be able to create these environments. And that's so exciting. You know, just thinking about all the agency we have and all the opportunities we have to create these loving and safe environments. So let's kind of take a look at where we are, just a state of where typical homes are. So in a study of thousands of adults from around the globe, so this is thousands of folks worldwide, when they were asked to describe the emotional climate of the home they grew up in with one word, 70% of people picked a negative word, Abby. Mm. So we'd like to think a loving and, you know, nurturing home is the norm. Unfortunately, it isn't. 10% of these folks picked a neutral word and only 20% chose a positive word, you know? Mm. And then this is a study um, from UCLA, from the Sloan Center for Working Families. And here they're studying dual career couples and, you know, the specifics to those folks. So they were saying that in the folks that they were studying that their relationships, these marriage relationships can default into errands and planning. And guess how much time that these folks, you know, these married couples spent talking with one another per week? 35 minutes. And it was about logistics. You know, so if you think about, okay, this is kind of the landscape of what's going on, you know, let's say to ourselves, okay, what can we do so that we are creating that emotionally safe climate, that loving home climate, because that's really what's out there. That's what most of us experience. That's what a lot of our kids' peers are experiencing. So let's learn what we can as moms, as adults in the homes to do the, to do something that's going to be more beneficial for our kids and for us. So I, oh, this is another one that's just coming to my head right now. I had also seen a statistic, and this is just one study, that 90% of our kids don't want a marriage like their parents. Wow. That is a problem. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at really what we can do for the moms who are married, you know, in with the other, with your spouse in the home and what you can do as a single mom, just yourself uh, to create these loving environments. So Dr. John Gottman, he is truly one of the foremost marriage researchers on the planet. He has studied marriage for over 50 years. He's a professor emeritus. He's written or co-authored over 40 books. I don't know how many, you know, journal articles he's done. So truly a world-renowned marriage expert. He and his wife, Julie Gottman, Dr. Julie Gottman, they uh, wrote their most recent book. It just came out last month. It's called The Love Prescription. Mm -hmm. And this one is amazing where it's a super tiny little book. It's a much easier read than a lot of their books. And this one just breaks down in seven days things that you can start to do for your marriage. And yet it's incorporating all those decades of phenomenal data that they've collected. So I love to refer to something that's really research-based where they know really what works for people. Mm -hmm. So let's look at that and see what are some of the things that the Gottman say, what are some basic things not to do that research predicts are going to create happy homes? What are some basic things to do um, where we're creating um, homes, loving and safe environments? So the Gottmans are so skilled that they can observe a couple for 15 minutes and they can predict within 90% of accuracy whether or not they're gonna stay together. 
Goodness gracious. Yes, which is like unheard of in the social sciences, which is amazing. So these are the four factors. They're called, they call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse that are highly predictive of divorce. So let's avoid and eliminate these. And here they are. Number one, criticism. We don't want to be criticizing our spouse. Something like, you're such a slob. You're so irresponsible. Basically making some kind of a dig on our spouse's character. That's how we define criticism. And the second one is contempt. And this one is the highest predictor of divorce. So if there's contempt going on in a marriage, it's highly likely it's not going to last. And it for sure is not a successful marriage. Contempt is like criticism, but you're taking it from a place on high. Like you're such a slob, you're so irresponsible. I would never do that. So it's like you're putting yourself as a one up on your spouse in addition to that criticism. Does that make sense? Does that distinction kind of make sense? So that's top predictor of divorce is contempt. Period. Um, number three, defensiveness. We want to make sure that we can hear um, a complaint versus a criticism and be able to understand our partner's perspective rather than becoming defensive. And then number four, and the fourth highest predictor of divorce is stonewalling. So that's like the silent treatment where you're just flat out not going to discuss something with your spouse. You're just done. And it's not, you know, in a temporary time, but it's just things are just off limits and you're just done and stonewalling them. So those are the things we want to avoid and eliminate because we're not going to have a loving and safe environment with those present. So let's move on, thankfully, to the universal factors that predict how couples will stay together and the top three things that, that folks can do. And they're, it's amazing, Abby, how doable these are. They just seem so simple and so doable. And why didn't we all learn these in high school, honestly? Yeah. I know. You know, like this, this should be, there should be relationships 101 freshman year of high school, exactly. honestly. And then 201, 301, 401. Why aren't we giving kids these skills? You know, it's just such a shame. Another statistic too that I saw in their book that I, I knew that couples waited a long time before getting help, but I didn't know how long. Um, it's six years on average that couples wait when they're struggling before they get help. And sometimes it's just too late. If you've just, you know, if you've let things go so long, you've got this contemptuous pattern in there, you know, so really getting help, even if it's from a $15 book, come on, you know, let's take some time to work on our primary relationships. Yeah. It's just so, it's so important. So these universal factors, the first one is, and think how doable these are. A couple needs to stay curious about each other. Curiosity. We all grow and change over time, and successful couples take the time to expand their knowledge of each other's inner worlds. So these are people that know their spouse's hopes and dreams, their stories about things about their childhoods, their sensitivities, their vulnerabilities, and how these adapt and change over time. You know, if you've been married for 10 years, your husband isn't the same man you married. He's grown, he's changed, he's evolved. And making sure that you're keeping up with that you know, expanding, they, the Gottman's call it the love map, making sure that your love map, map is up to date on your spouse. So that's one of the top universal factors that predicts a successful couple. Mm-hmm. The second one, and again, so doable, a couple needs to share fondness and admiration. 
fondness and admiration. This means you're seeing and you're appreciating the good things your partner does. You are finding and you're focusing on the things you admire about your spouse. You're expressing those things out loud and with just kind, loving touch. And these loving words need to be said far more often than we think, and not just for a person like me who's a, you know, words of affirmation, love language. Like these things are for everybody too. So, and this was super interesting too. They were, they had cameras on different couples that were struggling and um, they were saying, you know, how often does your spouse say nice things about you? When the couples were struggling and they were in kind of that negative spiral cycle, 50% of the time they didn't notice the positives that were going on. Because they were so focused on. Yes. Yes. So, <clears throat> Struggling couples, they weren't even seeing half of the good things that were happening. Wow. So just super interesting, super, super interesting. And this one is the greatest predictor of happiness in relationships, which this is something that's so doable, it's unbelievable. A couple that turns toward each other instead of turning away or turning against, and I'll define that. So these are couples that make and respond to bids for connection. In a bid, it's like the smallest unit of emotional communication. So let me give an example of turning towards. So say that your husband is sitting on the sofa and you hear this. So you hear this sigh from your husband. A turning toward is you walking over there, putting your hand on on his shoulder and going, hey, I noticed that side, what's going on? Is there something I can do to support you? What's happening? That's turning toward. It's that easy. That's it. You know, turning away would be you just, you were on your phone, you just stay on your phone and you're just kind of ignoring it. That's a turning away. A turning against is you're upset again. What is your deal? I'm always hearing some side from you or some, you know, negative something from you. That's turning against. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How easy is it to just offer some comfort, to turn toward, to notice and to be attuned, you know, like the attunement we have with our babies, to have that attunement with your spouse. How easy is that to do? And that's the top predictor of relational happiness. For unsuccessful couples, they turn toward one another 33% of the time. Successful wow. couples, 86% of the time. Wow. And this is over thousands of couples, millions of data points. Wow. So what an easy thing to do to think yeah. about that turning toward. It's something we can, it's just so doable. We can do it with our spouses. We can do it with our kids. Our spouses can, we can share this with our spouses. They can learn to do it with us because it's just so doable. Mm-hmm. How, why would we not do that? Right. Why would we not, you know? And having this conversation with your spouse or, you know, yes. other is something too. It's, it's, you know, you can kind of feel like, well, I've never been taught this before, or I've never been, you know, I've never seen this before. I've never seen this in another relationship or my parents didn't do this. Sure. Well, that's understandable. And it's real. And we, a lot of us have grown up in families like that. The divorce sure. in our country is so high. Of course. But, but having these conversations and saying, okay, I'm going to get educated and I'm not going to go only, yes, I'm going to apply what I'm learning. Totally. One baby step, just one baby step. Right. I mean, that would be the fastest, most actionable thing that you can do to create a loving and stable home. If you have a a spouse in the home with you, a maid in the home with you is to do that turning towards, I mean, that alone is just huge. That. That is the top indicator of predicting a successful relationship. And you can start it when you get off the call. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, I thought of too is turning towards 
your significant other is also something that you do in, in crisis or stress. Yes. Not yes. just when, you know, someone's good or whatever, but in the moment of, I don't know what to do, instead of isolating, going and turning towards them and connecting sure. together sure. against whatever. And um, even language like, what do you need from me in this moment? Do you right. want me to just be present with you and do you want to vent? Do you want me to help you problem solve? Do you want me to just be here and listen? Like asking them for what they need and then your husband in turn can learn to ask you for, for what you need. Our precious guys want to fix things for us. They're not trying to be unhelpful. You know, it's a matter of maybe sometimes saying, you know, babe, I don't, what would be the most helpful for me, how you can most support me right now is if you just listen, I just need to vent. I just need to get this off my chest for five minutes. Let him come through for you. State your positive need. The man wants to come through for you yes. typically, mm -hmm. you know? So just trying to state those needs in as positive of a way as we can. And that's a skill for all of us to learn. None of it. We didn't have this in high school, college, after college, marriage prep class. Most of us, we just didn't learn these things, no, you know? No. So, but we can learn them now and we can apply them right away. And what a gift that is for us and for our kids when they, when they get to be one of the non 90% that actually wants to emulate a marriage that their parents had, you know, yeah. and there's hope for this. There's, there's hope totally hope for help. There's Totally hope for health. Absolutely. If you're a single mom, there's totally hope for health. My parents were divorced. I don't ever want a single mom to feel alienated. We're all just learning all these skills together. And we're all just in learning and growth mode together, which, which is a fantastic thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Love it. So as we move on to Abby, just thinking about our families, like beyond just the couple in the home, thinking about our families and what we can do for that safe relationship, just moving it onto our kids as well. We can, number one, we can create rituals of connection where we're connecting daily with our kids. That's going to help establish that sense of love and safety for them in our homes. Um, you know, this was a fantastic example of connection. Uh, my former pastor, who's now a, a, he's the chancellor at Phoenix Seminary, he talked about, and his wife is my mentor, just phenomenal couple. They've been in ministry for 45 years. When his boys were little, he would go into their rooms at night, and he would just sit there on the floor, and the, the little guys would be like, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's, he would be like, you know, John, I'm just here. I just want to be close to you. And, you know, just think of all the connection, all the opportunities that those boys then had to go ahead and tell their dad the things that were on their mind and heart that they wouldn't have had if he wasn't in there sitting on their bedroom floor, mm. you know, and having that as a ritual connection. How great is that? So good. So Talk about love and safety, love and safety, you know, um, that creating that sense of belonging. So many kids don't feel a sense of belonging in their own homes. And that can also be from us as parents unintentionally expecting our kids to be more like us and that if our kid doesn't have their sa our same interests or isn't the kid that we thought we would have, you know, with different gifts and talents that we're not treasuring those things in that child that's in front of us. So right. really making sure that we are valuing the child in front of us, the child that we have. And like, you know, with your five kids or if you're a mom of multiple kids, your kids are going to be so different. And how do you value those gifts and talents in each child specifically. Yes. 
Number two, our language. Our use of language just goes so far. One of the huge indicators, too, in the Gottman's research, Abby, was kindness. Just using your words in a kind way, a kind tone. Using language in a positive, affirming, kind way. I had read in a different source, this was a, a teaching source, but how often, and this applies to parenting too, how often our language towards our kids is giving directions. Just giving mm-hmm. them directions. You know, and sure, there are times we have to give our kids directions. Hey, it's time to go for school. Let's get our shoes on. I mean, we've got to do that, but we don't want it to default into that. It's like those marriages that we're defaulting into the logistics. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be defaulting our parenting language into giving our kids directions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just something to be super aware of and really affirming our kids, saying things like, and I like to specifically separate it from our approval, you know, because we want to just notice our kids' positive qualities as separate from us just approving of them. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the classroom, when I would go in classrooms, some language that I don't think was as helpful as it could be is, I like the way such and such is sitting. It's like, then it's putting it all on the teacher's approval. That's not our goal. Instead, it's like when we're talking with our own children, you know, I noticed how kind you were when your little sister cried. I noticed how helpful you were when, you know, grandma needed help with holding the door open for her. I noticed how often you try something again when you've struggled with it. That's such a good quality. You know, pointing out our child's qualities with the stem of, I noticed that you. And really pointing out your child's internal qualities and also external qualities too. You know, this is going to be sound a little off topic, but it's not really. Like our kids' bodies are a big worry for them. How can we affirm, you know, you're so beautiful, you're so handsome. How can we also say those things too? So that we're validating the totality of our child's being, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Third, small things often. How can we do small things often in our families? You know, having not just a loving and safe climate, but a fun one. Let's bring some play back and some fun and joy back into our families. I think, you know, yes, we've got to work on our relationships, but we've also got to play in our relationships. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. we don't want to be so focused on the, quote, problem solving that we're not having fun because the fun can bring in, you know, some of the help that we need is the fun. That's so true. Something that we try to do in our family is when some, when someone get does something well, or, or we've all learned something or we've had a great day or seen some like, wow, we've really made some progress in this area or whatever. Celebrate. Yes. We we do something fun to mark the growth or totally the happiness. So good. So good. By having a movie night, popping popcorn, you know, celebrate by let's go on a walk and, you know, blow bubbles the whole time and just little things that aren't, you know, super expensive, but but fun and memory, you know, and that those are the things our kids are going to remember. You know, those yeah. are the things our kids are going to remember. I, when I, <laughs> I taught first graders at the beginning of my career years and years ago, I had a grown man who's a father himself message me on Facebook. He's like, that's the best water gun fight ever. <laughs> we couldn't, I couldn't do that now as a teacher. And, but I mean, we, we had water balloon fights and all those kind of fun things for parties. And that's what kids remember. You know, mm-hmm. let's have some fun. It's, yes. it's important for all of us. So good. Thank you. Wonderful. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So, um, we are, we've got 15 minutes left, so I okay. want to get some of the questions from the group as well. Sure. Are you okay sure. to get down to the bottom a little bit? Sure. Whatever you think is going to be most helpful. Do you want to, do you want to touch on communicating with spouses on our stress levels or where do you want to go? It's your call. 
Yeah, yeah. Let's touch on that and then uh, jump down to the last two. I think that I really want to touch on this before we get off today. For sure, for um, sure. I think that ties in really well to what we've just been talking about. So let's go to that. So um, our, yeah, our connection with our spouse or significant other, um, or even just the people that are supportive in our life. Like if we have single moms that are watching um, yes, and how to communicate where we're at, how to communicate, like I need help or I'm not okay. Yes. Or hey, yes. nice if you could, you know, like where, where we're at with our stress levels. That's so good. For sure. For sure. So let me just kind of model a script and then we'll talk about why it's structured like this. And we'll go to the, for sure, make sure that we get to the questions from the group. So something like, you know, Hey, I need to share something with you about me. That's really important to me. Are you available for that now? Or is another time better? So you're really getting at the timing. You're making it about yourself. You're not criticizing. You're not correcting. I'm not feeling like the mom I want to be, like the woman I want to be. I'm carrying blank, 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 and blank, naming the specific uh, stressors in your life. You're describing the mental load, and then you're asking for what you need. So you're stating that positive need. It would help me so much for you to blank, blank, and blank. I would feel so much better with this specific help. So you've got to know what you want, and then you're asking for that specifically. The Gottmans, in their research, they talk about it as giving your partner the chance to shine for you. So when so you're being so specific in your ask and so specific in what your need is that your partner can come through for you and can shine for you. So I think that's a, that's a, pos that's a really positive one. So that. you're not you're not criticizing. You're not correcting. It's a really softened startup. You're not starting it with, I don't ever get any help around here, blah, blah, blah. It's like, instead you're saying, I need to share something with you about me. You know, just look at that difference mm -hmm. and, you know, really letting your partner shine for you. Uh, single moms, letting the folks that are your support system and your life shine for you. It just, I mean, it's helpful. I think communicating with anybody. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's so good. Thank you. I'm taking notes like a crazy person. Keep going. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You know, let me touch on this too, Abby. I'll tell you, I, I've gotten some, some feedback on when you're in tears as a mom, what are some pros and cons of letting your kid cry? Can I touch on those? Briefly? Yeah, please. I think it goes along with all the stress and the burnout because I mean, we're there. So really some pros on letting your kids see you cry, mm. crying, can very much be an emotionally appropriate response to sadness, sorrow, disappointment, and grief. Mm. So these pros, letting your kids cry, it can be really normalizing. It can be an antidote to their shame. You know, we don't have to be ashamed of our challenging or difficult emotions. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's very normalizing. God also designed our bodies so that we usually feel better after we cry. And that's something that we can tell our kids. Our tears matter to God. Jesus wept. You know, also tears can reset our stress response. It's one of the ways that we metabolize stress and stress chemicals. So I think that's important. Some of the cons, because I know some moms are afraid to let their kids cry, that it will somehow, you know, it's too much or whatever. So here are some cons. What we want to caution against is having a parentified child who takes on more of an adult role as the comforter. Does that right. make sense? So we can right. totally see that distinction. Okay. And, and we also of letting you, letting them see you cry and not letting them, cry, right? Say that one more time. I didn't catch that. In, in the sense of letting them see you cry, not being like a manipulative, like, I'm 
Oh, get you to fix the problem. Oh, right. for sure. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. And we also want to caution against oversharing adult issues with a child, a tween, or a teen. Also, our teens aren't adults, you know, and we really want to caution against that. Also, for me, I would say the intensity of the cry. Uh, my precious dad just went to heaven a few months ago, and over the weekend, I had a massive sob session with a girlfriend that I've known for over 30 years. So mm. she's a really safe person for me. The intensity of my crying was such that I wouldn't want my child to see it. And it was a completely right. emotionally appropriate response to the biggest loss of my life. Completely right. emotionally appropriate. But I wanted that to be in the safe space of this friend that I've known, you know, and I wouldn't want my child to see that. So that's just the intensity level and making sure that you're aware always that you are your child's safety. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so I think those are important. And then, you know, circling back when your child does see you cry in one of those more appropriate, uh, emotionally appropriate ways. Hey, I was feeling blank. I, now I can work on why I was sad. It helped me to cry. It helped my body to feel better, you know, just things like that and circling back and kind of emotionally debriefing with your child, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and closing it out. Yes. Know, like, I think that helps the, the child not just think about it forever and wonder about it. And, um, for sure. For sure. And I can share a real quick story on this. Yeah. I think might kind of summarize. So this was my question, everybody. We didn't read the whole thing, but I asked, when you're in tears as a mom, what are the pros and cons of letting your kids see you cry? And because I had this situation happen to me a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. um, one of my children was just having a hard couple of days. And it sure. was it was the kind of hard that drained you. Yes. Emotionally, you feel helpless. Like literally yes. the burnout situation that you talked about. I was like, I was there. I was there. Right. Um, right. Chris was gone for a couple of days and I was at my limit. Right. And it was the third, fourth tantrum of the morning. It was only like 1130 that day. Oh, wow. I was in the room with my child and trying to... We always try to like, okay, let's get to the root of what we're feeling and let's, yes. let's breathe. And we do all of the positive, like, let's, let's feel sure. what we're feeling, but you can't act like that. Like, we've got to sure. happened and why we're acting that way. Sure. And no, was not cooperating, was not, um, didn't want to talk to me, wanted me out of the room, uh, was, was beside themselves, like, not normal. Mm -hmm. And I was so done and so right. And so at my end, I just lost it. Like sure. I, I just kind of like broke down. I didn't break down, but I broke down and cried. Right. right. And you could tell it shocked them. Yes. Like what just happened? And right. they creep like very slowly creeped out of the room and left. And I was like, great. I heard my kid. Like I gotta know that. And so I. We left, I left the situation, dried my face, left situation. And normally we don't do that. Like we handle what's happening in the moment. Left sure. situation, fed kids lunch. And I was in the middle of heating up something for one of the littles and my child who had the issues sure. came up to me, grabbed my hand and said, come here, mama. And took me back to their room and shut the door with a trembling lip set. I'm really sorry that I made you cry and that you're sad. I love you. Will wow. you forgive me? Wow. At, at four years wow. old. And I was like, like, wanted to cry all over again, of course. Right. And right. 
you know, that's okay. I forgive you and I love you. That was so sweet. I said, I said, you just heard Jesus talk to your heart. Like that was yeah. what Jesus told you like that. And we had this beautiful conversation. And so a lot of health came from it. They brought it up several times since that day. Sure, sure. It, it really marked them. It really was a marking moment for them um, to see the humanity. I think. Yes. Yes. It. Um, yes. But man, it, it was, it was like, I had to get to that level before it happens. You know? Right. 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 And just, you know, that wasn't emotionally appropriate response for the time you were maxed. And that's part of, you know, common humanity and doing the circling back like what you did. And it seems like your child initiated the circling back, which is exactly four-year-old kid, you know, but when, you know, when you're a mom and you've had that experience and your child doesn't circle back, you go ahead and circle back and say, Hey, you know, this is what happened. I was feeling like this. Um, God designed our bodies so that usually we will feel better after we cry. And then we have a way to look at what was making us sad in the first place. And there's something we can do about it. Maybe to help, you know, I love that. That's so good. Um, Yes. Yes. Okay. Are you ready to move on? Or you- I am. I am. Okay. So the last two questions that I really want to tackle, um, these are from mom inside the group. Sure. Um, one of them asked about wanting to know a little bit more um, about the different stages of child development. Yes. Um, more specifically when your child starts to change from the toddler age to like the young child um, age, like six to seven. Yes. Uh, and then teaching communication and what they need emotionally as they are changing. Um, how to navigate parent. Yes. And I taught six and seven year olds for many years. I taught first and second graders for many years. So I, I love this super fun group of children. So what I'm thinking of for your precious girl is kind of where she is ages and stages wise. She's at a stage where she's starting to exert more independence and her friendships are really starting to mean more to her. You know, that first and second grade friendship type thing is really important. Kids in that age want to be liked and accepted by friends. Mm -hmm. It's important for us to help our kids in that age, how she sees herself. We want her to develop a really positive sense of worth and identity. And that's where some of the things I was talking about earlier in our conversation here of, affirming our child's worth, stating her positive qualities, making sure that we're stating those often, the internal and external positive qualities. We want to have that really strong sense of belonging in the home. I think this is important too. We want our little girls, little boys, our kids to see themselves as capable. We want them to see themselves as capable. We want to give them opportunities to make choices. Sometimes we can default to more overscheduling for our kids when if we want to raise children who are able to make good choices in adulthood we have to start giving them practice to make safe choices when they're little kids and that's super important also when i was doing my research for meeting kids needs i actually put the body image lesson first and this was super interesting and i didn't know this all those years ago when i taught first graders but uh first grade girls especially around the age of six there's a real Uh, shift in a real growth spurt in their body image perception. Mm. So around the age of six, we want to make sure that we're really giving them positive imaging about bodies. We need to be really careful with our own language surrounding our own bodies. How often can we default moms as women to say, oh, these jeans are too tight. Oh, I'm not in shape the way I was, blah, blah. And it's like our 
girls pick up on that, that contributes to body image dissatisfaction yes. in our kids. So being super cautious of that. How often does that conversation come up when you're sitting on the soccer field? You're kind of commiserating with a fellow mom about, you know, the fat talk. And it's like, oh, no. So truly, if we can be aware of that as moms, and it's not just saying something derogatory about our kid, which hopefully we would not do. But when we say derogatory thing, things about ourselves, that impacts our kids negatively. So being super cautious of that body image thing with our little girls, especially that age six thing is huge. It's huge all the time. But there's this big window at age six that the research is showing, which is super interesting. I, I, I'm so glad you said that. Like that is so important for our culture right now. Especially, oh, totally. Um, hiding from the camera. And, I know. Like, in pictures or taking 40 just, selfies before the one you post taking 40. I'm filter free. I'm middle age. Here I am girls. <laughs> this is this it. Is, this is it. You know, with just the, with the, the emotional vocabulary, go to meetingkidsneeds.com, download the free lesson there. It gives you by age and by grade level, the different emotional vocabulary words that Yale recommends that you teach your kid at these different ages and stages, the Yale center for emotional intelligence. So there you can start to, it'll give you a really good foundation on how to build your child's emotional vocabulary, because that's foundational to emotion regulation. Parents can tend to want to jump straight to emotion regulation but you can't do that if you can't label a feeling if you don't know what feeling it is if you don't know where in your body it is i mean those are the foundational Mm -hmm. skills so let's get at those let's really help our kids to develop a rich emotional vocabulary and then even when you can get at that precise word alone that helps you to already have that kind of oh i'm feeling anguish (laughs) <laughs> it's anguish yeah. you know that helps to just kind of de de-escalate it so to speak you know mm-hmm. and normalize. so that, that's a really and normalize so definitely that's going to give you like 20 minutes of solid instruction on how to help your your first grade child and you know your elementary age child in general but your first grader in partic- particular with those um emotional vocabulary words that's so good thank I, you I, I think too when you are entering into a new stage and with your kids yes um, realizing that you're learning right along with them yes what you are learning you will project yes learn learn yes learn learn. there's also there's also a book i haven't this is coming to my mind right now and i haven't looked at this one in a while but i used to reference it frequently when i taught uh teachers that were going into the field and graduate students it's called yardsticks uh, it's by it's a responsive classroom book. So if you search responsive classroom yardsticks, it's like ages and stages and it gives you different ages and stages, you know, information on your kids. So that's a helpful one to have. That's just an easy read. And it'll it's just kind of a guidebook for on where kids are typically in these stages of development. That's a helpful, easy read for, for parents. Awesome. It's specifically for teachers, but parents, I think, can get a ton out of it, too. That's wonderful. And you said it's responsive what? Responsive. The responsive classroom approach. They're a social and emotional learning kind of think tank that, that uh, provides a lot of training for educators. They're fantastic. I used to use their books as texts um, when I taught adults. Uh, but the book is called Yardsticks. It's super helpful, super practical. It's just like lists of, okay, my kid at this age has this, 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 and this typically. You know, just being flexible with developmental levels and stuff and being honoring of your particular kid. It'll just give you kind of a ballpark of, of where typically developing kids are. And that's helpful to have. That is good. That is wonderful. I'm excited about that. I feel like every time I talk to you, I get five more books that I need to <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, 
Right. That right. 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 <laughs> Uh, okay. This is one of our last questions yes. I want to talk into For sure. uh, from a mom who said, I would, I would, we need to hit on the new moms too, um, who don't know or haven't had the experience of emotional regulation and may not know what it is. And so we've talked through a lot of the things, um, but just an overall view of like, what is this? What do we need to prepare for as my child gets older or right. myself? Um, where are we at with that? Okay, so let me just define emotion regulation. So what is it? So what emotion regulation means is learning how to manage my emotions in a socially appropriate way and in a relationally appropriate way. So we're not stuffing our feelings and we're not just blurting them out all over the place, but we're learning instead how to manage them in a socially appropriate way and a relationally appropriate way. So our feelings aren't Our feelings are super important and they're super valuable, but they're one piece of information and we don't want to just constantly default to only, you know, going off of our feelings all the time. We want to have some healthy thinking patterns in there too, of course. We need to manage and metabolize our emotions and we also need to combine that with healthy thinking patterns and just looking at it as a kind of holistic health and emotional wellness. Does that make sense? I love that. So like some steps of the emotion regulation process. So these are just general steps. Again, these are from the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. So they, for children, teach children a skill called a meta moment. So there are six steps of the meta moment. And it's really cool. And I touch on this in our Meeting Kids Needs course too. So that's available for you inside the course. So a meta moment, first step, and they're all S's. So first step is something happens. So you notice something externally happening. So we're noticing that. Number two is we sense. So we're feeling like what we talked about, Abby, in our uh, first part of our podcast episode is we're sensing where that happens in our body. Am I noticing that in my head? Am I noticing tense shoulders? Am I noticing my heart? Am I noticing a pit in my stomach? You know, so we're sensing. So first, something happens. Second, we're sensing. Then third, it's stop. And I like to call it pause. I like to call it a pause. So you're really taking that pause or that stop So you're going to be responding instead of reacting. Okay, so that pause in and of itself is a massive step. If all Americans or whomever, wherever we are in the globe, adults could learn a pause, we'd be in better shape. Agreed? (laughs) Oh, true. So a pause. So first, something happens externally. Then we're sensing where it's happening. Then we're stopping or pausing. Mm -hmm. Then number four, our fourth S, we're seeing our best self. We're envisioning how would our best self respond? And best for me can be kind of loaded with a perfectionistic tendency. So we want to be careful with that with our perfectionistic kids. But seeing seeing a a self the way you'd want to behave, you know? So seeing your best self. Then our next S is strategize. So you're coming up with some strategies in your head of how you're actually going to respond. So you're strategizing. You're not just reacting, but you're really taking that pause. You're envisioning, you're seeing yourself in a way that you want to show up. You're strategizing. And then the final step, the final S is succeed. Then you're actually acting upon that. So that's the meta moment uh, that's taught specifically to children uh, from Dr. Mark Brackett's work, who's, who's really a pioneer in the field and does some, does some phenomenal work. So ideally... The whole emotion regulation piece is leading you to living according to your best values, which is what we want for ourselves as as adults and for our kids. I love that. Leading according to our best values. 
Ugh. I'm like, my hand is sore. I'm writing so much. Missy, this has been um, just invaluable time. I feel Thank like you. we're going to watch this back to you. Several are live right now. Good. And good. I know this is going to just really benefit. And we touched on so many areas. A lot of areas. A lot of areas. I mean, they all kind of tie together. Sure. And that's that's human. Like that's It's all about holistic health and wellness. Mm -hmm. It's about being a version of yourself that you most want to be and living out your values, you know, and helping your kids to do the same. Yes. But you have to do it first. Yeah, you do have to do it first. You yes. absolutely have to do it first. So mm -hmm. you're the adult in the home and that's great. How much agency you have to be able to do things in the way you want to. That's fantastic. Take yes. hold of it. Take hold of it. Go for it. Do it. Yes. Yes. And this is possible. And little steps to just talking to the woman listening right now, like, you know, you're hearing all of this to, um, you know, think through like, okay, I want to do that. Oh, I want to do that. You have a list of things now in your head that you're like, sure. sure. Start with one. Start find, with one. Find one thing today that you grabbed hold of. That you're and like, what if I the one thing today is the turning toward? What if that yeah. one thing today is turning toward? That is the most evidence-based thing that is going to get you turned around in the correct direction. Turning toward your spouse if you're married. Turning toward your kid. You know, turning toward is huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That that one thing, what it, yeah. practicing it, implementing it, communicating what you've heard today and how you felt. Maybe not all the facts and all the things you learned, but I just saying, like, I had a real moment today, and like, wow, I want to make changes in the way we yeah. do family. I want to make some changes in the way that I mother. And the way yes. I and the way I wife or the way I'm connected to you and I communicating, I want to see change and I want to do it first. And I and and, and honestly, like the power of repentance. Yeah, just for a minute, like for sure. Saying, for sure. Saying, I haven't done any of that, or I've I messed up here. Don't don't feel the shame. Don't no, feel the please regret. don't. Please Turn don't. Away. Hey. I, that's I'm human and I want to turn away from that. And I'm sorry. Totally. For the totally. That's totally. not my heart. That's totally. not what I want to be. And I want to change that. And I'm going to start taking real steps. Yes. To change that. And that is and normalize that. How few people know these skills. We were yeah. not taught them. We have not yeah. seen them. How are you supposed to know? That's why we're here. That's why Abby and I are here. That's why Abby's doing the work she's doing. That's why I'm doing the work we're doing. We're here to support you as a woman, as a wife and a mom. And, you know, just, just to give your ourselves and our families, our kids, you know, what they need for optimal wellness, health, emotional health, love, safety, all these good things. Yes. Oh, that's so good. It is so cool how a lot of this blends into scripture. Yes. To taking your thoughts captive and yes. to yes. all of the things. Um, it, uh, that's why I love it so much is because it is, it's science and the Bible coming together and being like, yes. oh. It's kind of like we were written by the same one. <laughs> like, yes, 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 yes. So thank Such you. Such a so pleasure much. talking with you. Just, yes. just always so much fun for me. You're just a joy. Thank you oh. for having me so much. Thank you, Missy. Thank you so much for doing this. And everyone and watching later, um, uh, comments, like drop them in the comments uh, of what you're learning. Maybe something you're going to grab a hold of. Sure. And practice. Let Missy's in the group, so um, if you comment 
and just say, hey, I'm working on this. We'll both see it. For sure. Um, let you know what you're working on. And um, guys, run, don't walk to meetingkidsneeds.com. Um, go check out this incredible course. The free lesson is already in itself so helpful. Thank um, you. You, you designed a beautiful, beautiful tool for so many people. And thank you. Schools use it also. Yep, schools, it's available for schools too, not just individual families. So you can get that big systemic change, which is great. Yes, yes. And so needed. So needed. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Let's so. make these friendships easier for our kids by getting it for the schools. Oh, you know, yeah. you can find my phone number on the website. Call me. I'll get in touch with your school's principal. Let's make this infrastructure for our kids better in the schools by having our families know more about emotional intelligence and sending more emotionally intelligent kids to our schools. Friend, I'm so glad you were here with me today during this episode. If you're ready for more and want to start taking some action steps on what you've heard today, I want you to join a really special community called the Fullness Show community. It's a free, positive, and life-giving group of women just like you who are taking brave steps out of their overwhelm and into their fullness of overflow. And I want to see you in there. You are not alone, girl. Let us show you. To join the group, go to facebook.abbyhaggard.com. I can't wait to meet you in there. Thanks again for listening to The Fullness Show.